Welcome. Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me in our studios in Southern Illinois is our producer, Mason, and joining us from somewhere in West County, St. Louis, is Sean Campbell. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Very thankful that we did not get blown away in uh, in Creefcore, literally or figuratively. What, you weren't blown away by the play of City 2? No, but I was almost blown away by the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Speak for yourself. My hair was flowing all over the place. I did see a picture of me from the back, and my hair looked like a mess. (laughs) It was (laughs) on that. But yes, we did go out. Creefcore Park this past Saturday. Uh, Watched uh, City 2 take on Loose City for the preseason Kings Cup, I guess you call it this year. Exciting time. We'll have more of that a little bit later in the show. We got a big show. Going to be talking some MLS, CCL. Uh, But first, we got some St. Louis City news. They've signed another player, a striker, name of Zhao Klaus, though he generally just goes by Klaus. He's a 25-year-old Brazilian, came over from Hoffenheim, where uh, has he even featured maybe for four matches at Hoffenheim, he's been uh, he's been in the lone army at Hoffenheim, currently playing with Saint Trond in uh, Belgium. Did score over the past weekend, a lovely little goal uh, of taking it at the far post, getting it up into the uh, bar and down into the net. That was nice. Uh, the amount of the acquisition fee is put somewhere around three million. Uh, sources differ anywhere from three to three and a half million, probably depending upon. Agent fees, other things involved. Uh, that in his salary makes it sound like he's going to be a full DP in his first season at MLS. He will be joining the t- squad in July. So he'll be part of the City 2 contingent of uh, St. Louis City first team signees. So if you're going to look at City 2, you might want to try to get out later in the year as all the signees get a chance to at least stretch their legs get a chance to work with some of their teammates uh, in a low-pressure environment before they start their first season. That's a big deal for St. Louis City SC to be able to do that. This is a Lutz pet project. Lutz was instrumental when he was at Hoffenheim in bringing Klaus over from Brazil. He doesn't have uh, stats that uh, wow you. He's a big, tall striker. Has scored some goals. He had a really good season or two in the Austrian Bundesliga. And doing all right right now in Belgium. Did go to Standard Lege in, but uh, on loan, but that club was in trouble and did not have a good season there. Yeah. You know, not the kind of stats you really look for in a designated player, is it? Well, the stats in Austria are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. I had it pulled up here. Like 12 and 5 one year? 12 goals, 5 assists? Uh, he had 24 goals and 5 assists in 61 games in Austria. Between the two. Yeah. Which, those are good numbers. He was less impressive at uh, at Liege, but that was a club that was in trouble. So so we'll see. He's uh, in Hoffenheim, played around Europe. He's got experience. Uh, Manuel Vaith of Transfer Market. Uh, was actually on earlier this week on the Flyover Footy podcast, and uh, kudos to them for getting that. Uh, he had some interesting things to say, generally positive on Klaus, 
Uh, Matt Doyle was not uh, on Twitter of MLSsoccer.com, was not very uh, complimentary of the signing when it came out. But initially, the numbers was $5 million instead of $3 million. Uh, Manuel Vez said that uh, the $5 million number included salary. So overall, uh, it is a three-and-a-half-year contract with an option year. That option year gives uh, St. Louis City a chance if they need to to uh, amortize that out and possibly buy it down later with Tam. So he's not a full DP for the length of the contract. Big, strong player, can score. Now see how that equates. Apparently has a good work rate on defense, so he'll fit well into the system. But uh, other than that, don't know that much about him. Yeah, it it's Lutz's guy, so... I, I imagine I could see Lutz walking into Hoffenheim, like throwing both the doors open and be like, hey, look, I need y'all to do me a favor. <laughs> could be. Could be. And it could be that uh, they didn't sell him on. Like, uh, no, what was the name of the uh, Lusk in uh, Austria when he was there? They wanted to keep him, but Hoffenheim, you know, kind of held up the deal, charged too much for him. They were holding on to him, trying to get a payout. I guess they got enough money now. Uh, to bring him over to St. Louis, so he'll be coming in uh, July. Talked about Manuel Vaith, uh transfer market, and some of the things he had to say. He's pretty positive on Klaus, says it could be a good signing for him. Uh, also talked about uh, Selmir Pedro, the uh, young Bosnian, uh, newly fresh uh, national team member. He's got a lot of upside, but he was really high on Thomas Ostrak, the Czechoslovakian playing for Korn who press even more than we think St. Louis city is going to do well-versed in that attacking uh, midfielder can also play on the wings in the midfield. And uh, one thing that struck me that Manuel Veth had to say was that when he broke the story, he got calls from his contacts across the Bundesliga saying that he had to be wrong. There was no way that Ostrak was going to be leaving to go to MLS in St. Louis city. He's too good, but no, we got him. And uh, so far, the signings, he, I kind of got the feeling he's the real gem of the three we've gotten so far, especially coming out of Europe. Uh, the biggest thing that Manuel Vaith had to say was he was hinting on, wait till you hear some of the other names that are out there. And that does not include uh, Joachim Nielsen of Armenia Bielfeld in the Bundesliga, the center back. He did say that he has come to personal terms with St. Louis City, but that doesn't mean the deal's done. He still has a lot of suitors out there. He's looking for somewhere he's going to play so that he can, you know, stay on the Swedish national team and play in the World Cup. I think what I, I think that we've got a, a real solid core coming together real quickly. They're not all they're 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 young, but they're not super young. They're experienced. They've played in Europe a little bit. Uh, as far as Klaus goes, uh, if he was he's a Lutz project, he, you know Lutz has faith in the guy. He brought him into Hoffenheim, and now he's bringing him into St. Louis, and maybe now this is his chance to actually prove that he can be a first-team starter, start putting the goals in the back of the net. You'll love to see it. Um, I honestly think Lutz has had these guys, with the, with the, re the rapid rate that we're signing players at this point, the quick-fire rate, It's it seems like he's had these guys on his radar since he was at, another, you know, at his last club and he was trying to get them in there and they just wouldn't go for it. And now this team's biting on him. So these are guys that he knows well enough. He can work with them. He knows they'll probably fit his system. That's always a good sign. Um, 
that doesn't necessarily transfer into us ended up ending up, you know, winning MLS Cup our first year. We're not that I don't know if we're gonna be that good, but we're definitely not gonna be Cincy with the way it's shaping up. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um no, I mean like, yeah, these are these are good guys. Um, especially Klaus. Uh like, yeah, like we've been like, oh, like his numbers aren't that great. Blah, blah, blah. His numbers in Austria were great. <laughs> I don't know if they were five million dollars great, but like you said, that 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 number was a little like kind of misreported, um, and I think that's why a lot of people kind of went like, "Wait, ugh, five million? But a three million dollar transfer fee because his contract's expiring is not outrageous." And then what? I guess that would if the five million dollar was correct, but include salary that would make a two million dollar salary. That's not bad. That'd be two million stretched out over three years. Yeah. Um. One thing it shows is the power that MLS has. One, you know, MLS came out of the pandemic because the U.S. didn't follow any of the uh, uh, strictures that most of Europe and the rest of the world did. So MLS has money. And uh, not only that, MLS is really raised up in the ranks of the quality of what the league is. So how to equate it, MLS is a better league than the Austrian Bundesliga it's better than the Belgium uh, Jupiter League, especially if you get below the very top tier. And uh, one could even say it's even better than the uh, than the league in the Netherlands. If you take away the top two teams there, you get down the mid table. It's pretty comparable, if not MLS, a little stronger uh, across the board. So we'll just have to see how they play. Now they get the added benefit, though of getting to work with their team instead of just being thrown out, having training camp and playing the first game, they'll get to work together. Some of these guys and uh, like Selmeo Pedro, they said it when he was signed, he wasn't intended to be the first signing. It just came together quicker. Doesn't mean that he was either the biggest signing. It's just the first one that they were get across the board. Joaquin Nielsen, on the other hand, if they get him as a center back, and get him in to start, that looks like a high-quality signing. So important to have a center back that you can trust as an expansion team. Uh, that's why Nashville went out and whipped, uh, allocation money whipped uh, LAFC and stole Walker Zimmerman away and uh, became good the first year. It had a lot to do with it. Yeah, done, done, done gangbusters for Nashville. And, uh, you know, young, good players, but apparently... There's more young, good players out there in the system than just these guys. Because we were at Creevecourt Park as Louisville City came in. Perennial contenders in the USL Championship. Uh, you know, a lot of the City 2 players are amateurs that they're throwing out there. Uh, some professionals, sometimes their first professional contract, a lot of them, just out of college. And they're going up against grown men playing competitive soccer at a pretty high level uh louisville city should have wiped really wiped clean and it didn't work out that way yeah a lot of you have been around longer than us you know what Lou city does to st louis clubs <laughs> you know what Lou city did to st louis fc um and uh we we mentioned that like you know this is like kind of like the last iteration of the king's cup although not really but yeah uh st louis city went in there and Put up a good fight. Now, albeit it is preseason, mm -hmm. uh, that makes a difference. The conditions were suboptimal. 
what's that wind blowing? 25, 30 miles an hour? It was. Yeah. yeah if you weren't there, and I know a lot of you were because we got to meet you. Thank you. And, uh, but uh, there'd be a goal kick. It would go, what, about 20 yards? Somebody do a clearance, kick it high in the air, and blow right back to them. I think we saw that twice that the, the kicker ended up with the ball back at their feet. Yeah. I saw a clearance that went like negative five yards. Yeah. I think the best part about watching that win, though, was the fact that we were still putting on chances on net, but I'm sure we'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah, in uh, going uh, holding uh, going against the wind, they were able to get chances on net. The press did seem to cause Lou City some trouble. Uh, young legs seemed to cause him some trouble, uh, but they held out when Lou City had the wind. In the second half, St. Louis City was able to take advantage of that. Got a nice strike from Vitor Diaz, and his goal was the difference. Because it was a 1-0 win for the City Boys, and a very good day. Yeah. Very good day at Crecourt. Really good showing from our goalie, whose name I unfortunately don't know off the top of my head. But um, great showing from him. Uh, good defense. And yeah, the press was strong. And yeah, Vitor Diaz puts it in, and away we go with a W. And then... We got to play a second game. (laughs) Yeah, then we won twice because uh, they come back out and line up for PKs just for fun, I guess. (laughs) Yep, went uh, down to down to the end of five PKs and St. Louis City got that one. Yeah. So then we all started uh, chanting, we won twice. We won twice. It's a very good day. Had St. Luligan's tailgate, met a lot of old friends, met a lot of uh, new friends out there. I really enjoyed the time. Uh, temperature was great. The wind was not great, but uh, look forward to the next one. And the next one we're planning on making is the very first MLS Next Pro game ever on March 25th as they'll host Rochester. And that'll be at uh, Slew's Herman Stadium that evening. And we're planning on making that up, They're making it up there for that game. Uh, as long as gas prices don't hit $7 a gallon. <laughs> yeah, there is a, there's that one little problem at the moment. <laughs> Any other takeaways from the city two game guys? It's always a blast to go. Uh, I wish we could go more often, but I'm glad that we've gotten to go as to as many as we have. Cause it's always a great time. I thought it was great to see the, it's always great to go see the city two play. And at this point, you're really starting to see this, the style play come together. It's starting to put, through it, you know, coming to fruition, even though it is again preseason, you're probably not seeing the official starting lineup that we're going to see game in and game out there, but it's still worth watching and, and it's great to see it coming together in an organic way. And yeah, as these, these city, these first team players are coming in, they get to jump into this system and bring it back up with them as they go to the first team. That's going to be even more wonderful to watch. Um, I've got, I've got pretty high hopes for this team and uh, who knows, maybe we'll get a win in the open cup. That would be nice. Another yeah. good thing was the uh, short make noise boys were there, the people, uh, making noise with the drums, had a couple of more chants, and uh, before we get our first real game, we get a whole season to work on chants. This is really a great opportunity for cities starting this early with all of these uh, infrastructure things before the first team starts. Yeah, the drums sounded great this time, too. Um you could tell that they were still getting their legs under them last time. No offense to you guys 
from Show Up Make Noise. You've been nothing but kind to us. But you could tell that like they had just started getting everything in order. They sounded a lot better. They sounded great. Just remember, um, it's preseason for them, too. Exactly. But they sounded great. There was a lot more of them, too. They're building out their roster at the same time. It's uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I sure do hope that City 2 has some uh, some names on the jerseys by the time that they actually start play, because yeah. uh, I would like to know who's who. <laughs> I think they got the practice jerseys saving the mm-hmm. the ones for the regular season. I hope it would be nice. Numbers <laughs> would just numbers would be nice. <laughs> and a roster to go with those numbers. They sure look like practice jerseys, and they're the jerseys that they are wearing, like on like in pregame warmups. Yeah, they just don't take them off; <laughs> they just keep wearing them. So I sure hope that there are some some full game jerseys, like full game kits, just waiting in the wings. Yep, it was a good weekend. Good weekend all around. And next, we're going to talk a little MLS. For some of us, the big news in MLS this week was. We finally got the survey of chief soccer officers or CSOs from Sam Stashkull and Paul Tenario of The Athletic and of the Allocation Disorder podcast, which you can find every Friday on your Total Soccer Show feed. Uh, Taking a look at the roster rules, how they think about players, coaches, just a general overall survey of most of the CSOs in MLS. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. We won't be doing it on this show. Uh, they did write 74,000 words on The Athletic to do this and spent over an hour talking about it on the Allocation Disorder podcast. So you can look any of that up as you, as you, if you wish. Pretty entertaining. I, uh, at least, uh, give a listen to the podcast. I highly recommend it. Just, uh, talking with some of the quick things that uh, they came across and the things that we pretty much knew, but now we get the voices of those in the game, at least at the lower level. Uh, consensus are the roster rules are broken. There's a lot of bending of rules, mostly in gray areas. You, you know, and the CSO said you can't get the deals done unless you break some of these rules, you know, setting everybody up to be a criminal, basically. Uh, one of the things to look at is agent fees in every deal get tied in the acquisition costs, like with the transfer fee. Uh, those often get hidden either through marketing, you know, fees, marketing costs, or, uh, even charge back to the reserve team. Uh, there's also other ways to hide money, pick up money, things like that. They're all in the gray areas. Uh, these are things that it doesn't seem like uh, the headquarters of MLS are that worried about, to be honest, uh, unless they get bad press or somebody really goes out of bounds like Inter Miami did with 14 DPs, uh, uh, exaggerating slightly there. Uh, the one thing they had a big issue with is, you know, they're trying to be progressive. They want to grow the league, meet their targets for the league. But instead of reworking things as it's grown and gotten bigger, they just pile new rules on top of the old structure. And it's just become untenable. There's a bucket here, a bucket there, a bucket here. Just to try to read through the roster rules. It's it's mind-boggling. Uh, and the, the CSO said they just don't see changes coming soon. 
There doesn't seem to be amongst the owners and the ownership cabals that are forming within the league. Uh, the old ones that have absorbed a lot of costs over 20 years just aren't interested in making a lot of snap changes over trends that have happened for six or seven. So don't see anything changing there. The one thing they were big on is if you really want to get a bounce from the World Cup in 2026, you need to change these rules. Make the game on the field better. And it can be better by changing some of these buckets, freeing up spending, allowing quality and depth, quality throughout the entire space of the field. TAM helped a little, but it's got to go further. Now we're going to the League's Cup. Can't compete with Liga MX's teams with these kind of uh, handcuffs on building a roster. A shocking thing is there's a product strategy committee. It's made held by ownership. Uh, you've got you've got some old owners on there. Clark Hunt's the chairman of FC Dallas. You got the owner of Vancouver, Adrian Hanauer of Seattle, uh, Merritt Paulson with uh, Portland. They seem to be big. Then you got non non voting members that are there, and they'll be the ones from Atlanta from NYCFC, from LAFC. They don't get to vote on these changes. And it's all headed up by uh, by uh, the executive uh, vice president uh, player personnel for MLS. One thing that they've said is, as they forward their thoughts from the CSOs, he just doesn't pass them along to the owners, so they're never hearing the thoughts of the people that are building the rosters and what needs to be changed. Why they don't have a voice... That's, it just seems insane. So nothing ever changes. They might not even realize there's such an issue out there, which is hard to believe. It's not that hard to believe, to be honest. Um, you know, somebody like a Garth Lagerway, been a player, been an executive with MLS and is now a chief soccer officer. You think he'd be on that committee? You think he'd have some good insights? Nope, nope. He's not being heard. That Things like that have got to change. Another thing that's out there is, think about this. There's a salary cap, how much you can use to build your team. You get your GAM to how to buy it down. You got your other, you know, your U22s, your young DPs. You got all this stuff they keep piling up that's hard to manage. But you're pretty much limited with the hard salary cap. A designated player automatically makes a 12.5% hit on that salary cap per designated player. Uh, that means that if you've got three of them, that comes out to be 37.5% of your entire team is tied up in three players. And because they cost so much, those are almost all attackers. So it really gives an unbal uh, unbalanced feel to the way the game is played on the field itself. It's just too top-heavy. Some of them had a good idea, which actually free up some of these other spots, loosen up and cut everybody back to two DPs if you want to come back on on um, excessive spending, which, of course, is the fear because the NASL spent itself out of existence back in the 80s. That's the reason for all these heavy rules. Uh, that may be a not a bad idea. They keep adding more options to spend. It's time to rework it all. But it's become so convoluted, they're just going to have to, it's going to take a lot of work. It doesn't seem to be anybody really wants to. Don't make them do stuff. 
a couple other things that weren't to do with roster rules. Uh, consensus really was that for a chief soccer officer, they're in love with Christian Roldan. Extremely well thought of. And the reason being value. He's a mid-TAM level salary, making just shy of a million dollars a year. So he could be bought down with allocation money, not taking a big hit there. He's a domestic player, not using up an international slot. He's a team leader, can act like a coach on the field. And as one of them said, he just has the ability to sniff out what needs to be done on the fly during game time. And they look at him as a quintessential type MLS player because in a salary cap, his value is so high for what he's actually being paid. Interesting. Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about that I got from reading the athletic piece. Um, I didn't listen to the episode of Allocation Discorder, but I did read the I read the article and um, it was a split decision. Um, I want to say the CSOs were anonymous, but there was a kind of split decision between whether the, the spending should be freed up and just allowed to run rampant. Mm-hmm. Or if it needs to be kept tamped down, but simplified. And I imagine that that is pretty much split on who works for like large market teams and who works for mid and small market teams. Because I can't imagine that even a team like St. Louis City would really want to have these spending rules go away. That would just mean that, okay, so now Seattle and and the New Yorks win every year, <laughs> you know, or, uh, or teams start folding. Yeah, um, they're in place for a reason. And uh, we've talked about this before when we talk about enforced parity. That's kind of what this is. And um, I imagine that, like, yeah, these bigger clubs that have deeper pockets are feeling shackled by this by these caps by these spending rules but the reason why they're being shackled is so that they don't just win every year because yeah. that's what would happen <laughs> it happens the rest of the world and it's actually becoming a real problem especially in the big six conferences Bayern wins every year why play Juventus did it but now they've gone down natural regression PSG's never never not winning other than the occasional shock like last year in uh, Ligon. And then there's like the big six in the EPL. Yeah. And then they want to break away and make their own Super League. Oh, that came back too, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> that's raising its ugly head. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the things that we've got going on. I'm on the side that says they do need, because I was there for the breakup of the NASL. You do need some hedge on the spending but it needs to be simplified. Uh, you could give them a lot of leeway by getting rid of these buckets and making a couple of them, uh, still having a salary control, but allowing them more freedom to do what they want to do to sign better teams on the field is what it comes down to. I mean, like even just like looking at this as a complete layperson when it comes to spending rules, why do we need GAM and TAM? <laughs> well, TAM's going away. Okay. It's so going to be so GAM. They've at least figured that one out. <laughs> uh, it's still out there, but really, TAM's going away. They have done that, at least. But yeah, that's that's when you throw a rule just on top of the other rules, so then you have two 
that have, yeah, just makes it hard to deal with. Simplification is very much needed. What's the name of that house that never's never finished? They're always that person. The the family was always making additions to it. The Winchester House. It's an absolute. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. It, it's like they're just they just keep adding different wings onto the house, and then next thing you know, like two months later, it's a there's the layout's completely different and. It, that's how you get situations yeah. like Miami where, you know, they get handcuffed because they're trying to bend the rules as best they can. Next thing you know, you know, the rules may have changed on them or they misread them and it's yeah. just too confusing. You, you, you take a you take a you take a, a flight of stairs up and you open a door and there's just a brick wall and the brick wall is labeled Tam. Yeah. I uh, also had a thought of a house of cards. How high can you pile that? Also, you could think about a piece of paper. You can only fold it. You can't fold it more than seven times. It's impossible. MLS is already on the fifth fold of that piece of paper right now. Maybe trying to squeeze in a sixth. Yeah. It's the way it feels. I, this is why we describe like so, these these rules in MLS as Byzantine is because they are. That's how you get Byzantine rule systems is you just keep building on top of flawed foundations and you just keep going that way and you never tear anything down. Yeah, I'm trying to follow up on the roster rules, put a tweet out. Read through them, read through them twice. Now I got to read through them another 16 times to be conversant. And maybe even before then, I'll need to take some psychedelics, uh, do a consultation with the sports attorney and talk to clergy before I figure it all out. And I got a feeling that's the way a lot of these CSOs look. And when you see them make deals out there, they're just as confused as I am sometimes. But that's enough of that talk about the play on the field. We got Sean Campbell to give us a rundown. What happened this past weekend? Well, we've got some interesting things that happened this weekend in uh, in MLS as far as on the field play goes. Granted, we didn't get to see a lot of it live because we were, you know, out at Crevecore Park watching a game up on the fence line, which personally I'd take over watching soccer on TV any, any day of the week. We were on the fence line. But, the game uh, was on the pitch. <laughs> We were on the fence. They were on the pitch. We got high five. We got fist bumps at the end of the game again. Yes. It's a good time. That's the good stuff. Keeping along with that feel good story, though, we're going to start off with uh, Sasha Question and Chris Hegart. It's a real feel good story because 12 years ago, back in 2010, Sasha Question, still fairly young kid, he was getting his first move over to Europe, goes to visit little boy named Chris Hegart in the L.A. Children's Hospital and gives him his his U.S. Men's National Team jersey as he's about to go into surgery. And uh, 12 years later, he's wa- Sasha's walking out in, uh, in a hotel in Charlotte, sees the parents, says, hey, what are you guys doing here? Oh, our son. He's he's playing today. You know, he's playing for Charlotte. And so he tweets out, I didn't know that was that was happening, but it'd be great to see him on on the pitch, and I can't wait to trade jerseys with him. Well, they traded jerseys after the game, and you just love to see stories like this where kids get to grow up looking after looking at these guys, and then they get to grow up and play on the same pitch as them, and then trade jerseys with them. Yeah, that that's a really, really great story. You know, I'm kind of a cold heart, cynical old guy. That one kind of touched me a little. Yeah. Great to see. Next up, we got the fact that uh, San Jose managed to make a comeback and uh, actually draw a match three to three in a very unlikely fashion. But, hey, you'll take it, especially us, you know, who are who were super critical of them in our preview and did not see them doing very well at all. So who knows? Maybe we were completely wrong. No, I don't think we were completely wrong. I think what I said when I saw that that final score come up because we were still 
in the car on the way back from from the game when that game ended is I said, well, San Jose is certainly staying as the chaos team. Uh, failed former Chicago Fire center back Francisco Calvo got two goals at the very end of the game to tie it while San Jose was down 10 men against the Columbus crew. You 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 couldn't write that. People would say it's ridiculous and make you rewrite it if you were writing a script. But you love to see it, especially from a team that was wondering where the goals were going to come from. Looks like it's going to be by committee, but <laughs> from their center back. We'll see how that plays out for the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we'll I see don't, how that plays I out for the rest of the year for sure. I don't think San Jose is going to be good. I still don't think that. Um, but I, I am glad to see that they're still going to be weird. Well, they come out with that three six one formation that you know it's taking over the world. <laughs> e. I guess it's all to score late goals from your center back. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of weird sports, so I I like San Jose, even though I know that they are bad. So, well, keeping along with the with the weird outcomes, um, Colorado came out and absolutely made Atlanta. They just caught Atlanta with their pants down. Almost it seems like that was. Very unexpected scoreline. I was I was thinking a little closer, maybe like two one, but not three nothing like it was. Yeah, the yeah. Rapids stay good. It <laughs> boggles the mind, honestly, considering that they spend like no money. They don't have any DPS. Um, and yeah, they're. <laughs> we were talking about this pre-show. Um, and I was like, yeah, you could look at like all of the North American teams, like with the exception of like the Nuggets that Stan Kroenke owns. And they're all good. And they're all good in spite of Kroenke's ownership. <laughs> also, is looking, uh, Chris Wondolowski and BWP have retired this season. <laughs> they should go out and sign those guys. <laughs> they, <laughs> they might win the West again. But that was a shock. Atlanta expected better, but it's early season MLS. You never know. Granted, they're also down a few players, but, you know, it, it's... It's still unexpected to see. <laughs> but when you come down to it, there's one thing, and by one thing I mean several things, we all somewhat expected to see out of this Portland LAFC game. I have in my notes, bingo. Because if you were supposed if you were to make a card for every single game for every MLS team, the the Timbers card would look very similar to what actually happened in this game. Portland bunkers down after going up a goal. Check that box. Dyrone Espria having a strike from some 40 yards out. Check that box. Uh, Claudio Bravo getting a necessary card. Check that box. Dyrone Espria making an acrobatic clearance. Check that box. Uh, Jimmy Chara making an acrobatic attempt on net. This time he scores it. Again. Check that box. They were bailed out by a post a couple of times. Check that box. You check the free space, add one other random guess you thought might happen, and all of a sudden, you know, you've got two bingos right there. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was quite a game. Jimmy Chara <laughs> with two bikes in two weeks. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> then, I will say the first one he didn't need to do. He just felt like it. This one was actually like <laughs> it was really good. And just <laughs> Crippo looked at it and was like, well, what the heck am I supposed to do <laughs> yeah. about this, man? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I don't know if that was particularly a bicycle kick, an overhead kick, probably more likely. But what fun is that? Yeah. Two bikes in two weeks. 
He's he's putting his application for goal of the year early so he doesn't have to work as hard the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. Numbers one through five in a, in a five per in a like a five goal field are all gonna be Jimmy Chara scored bikes. If he does it three weeks in a row, he gets the Puskas award from FIFA for best goal in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess moving on from the expected, we can move on to back to the bit of the unexpected. Um, let's talk about Austin next. What is going on? What There's something in the water in Austin, Texas, and they are off to arguably one of the hottest starts at MLS ever, scoring 10 goals in two games. They, uh, just, what's going on down there? Well, there's something in the water. There's a couple of things. Skyline, Chile, and Manatees, because if you're playing FC Cincinnati and Inter Miami, you got a chance to do some things. I was wondering where you were going with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Austin just went in there and embarrassed Miami. Um, although I will be fair, uh, Miami also kind of embarrassed themselves. <laughs> um, not to diminish what Austin hung, hung five points, four unanswered on them. Or no, it was three unanswered, wasn't it? Anyway. Yeah, yeah hung, it was. They got shellacked. Yeah, hang, hung five points on Miami. And like three of them were Miami going, yeah, you know what? I quit. You can have it. <laughs> yeah, they did look like they quit a little. Hoping that uh, the new team would fix that, but their defense is so poor. You're just getting waxed like this. You are you just generally tend to like, uh, especially in front of that crowd in Austin, it's like, is this game over yet? Hmm? <laughs> Yeah, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, they definitely looked like Swiss cheese out there. That's for sure. Yeah, but yeah, they uh they started the game the year off with a couple of couple of cupcake teams to start the year. They put up a bunch of points. Uh, looking towards next week, it definitely looks like they're gonna have their first real test playing in Portland. But uh, I gotta say, even if they come away with one point out of that game, that's a huge testament to all the work they did in this off season. Uh, and, and that they might do, they might do better than we even expected. And who knows playoffs might, I know it's early, but playoffs might be in the picture for Austin. If they can get a point in Portland and keep up this strong run of form. Well, let me just say counter to that. Cause I was thinking this, even as I was saying it last week, when I was uh, giving praise to Miami for their extremely smart turnaround, which I still believe was a very smart turnaround. Um, but that it was already proving fruitful on, on the field. I don't think that was true. I think I got a little ahead of myself <laughs> and, um, I think Sean might be getting a little ahead of himself saying that Austin's making the playoffs, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with a five. I didn't score say line. they would. I said they might. <laughs> yeah. I said they might. Fair enough. It was increasing. <laughs> I wasn't saying they would, and it's just dependent on that outcome in Portland next week. They've got if Drew. they can run away with three points. Oh baby, all bets are off for this year officially. They got Jerisi from the start of the season. If he stays healthy, they've got a shot. Oh, what was his name? Yeah, Ethan Finley. Yeah, just went to work on Miami. <laughs> oh yeah, see that's why you need veteran MLS talent like Ethan Finley. You bring him in, starts to uh, glue things together a little. Absolutely, absolutely great showing from Austin. If nothing else, they have they put together some great plays, scored some great goals, and I'm happy. I'm I can't wait to see what the rest of the season holds for them. Uh, continuing on with a little bit more of uh, 
I, I don't know if under unexpected as much as like just underwhelming soccer. We're looking at Seattle. Here's looking at you, Sounders. You played a heavily rotated side after playing in CCL. And if you look back to last season, I know there's a break in between there, but in their last 11 games in all competitions, they have one win. One win. Granted, it was in CCL, but at this, uh, but also granted, that's the last seven matches they had last season. They did not get a. They didn't win. I, I couldn't remember if they got points, but they did not win. And when you have as consistent a side as them, I don't know if it's troubling or expected. But I'd say it's expected because they're they're playing for CCL right now, and I think they're putting all their eggs in that basket at the moment. Yeah, I think so. And if you go back to last year, and even the first game this year, they beat the hell out of the post in the crossbar. They've really been unlucky by hitting the woodwork over and over. They just can't seem to get it in the net. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I find it a little hard to fault Seattle for like giving it their all in an international competition. Um, especially this early in the season when you know that you have a strong roster and that any points that you drop here, you can make up later or no is a strong term, but you feel confident in. Yeah, we'll see. They didn't look good down the stretch last year. Injuries seem to have uh, taken their toll and they're not fitting well together up front right now. It's still interesting to see, though. Um, we'll see if this takes its toll next, you know, at the end of this season, too. You know, even if you put together a strong midseason, if you can't put it together at the end, you're you're not going to be in good form going into the playoffs. Um, but again, we got a whole season ahead of us. We'll see how it works out for them. But when you've got this kind of depth, this kind of a roster, there's next to no turnover. If anything, you just brought in a couple of other names just to really, really help out on that strong depth. They should be able to handle it and still put up points in MLS. But until I see the results in the next few, in the next couple of weeks, unless they get that trophy, I'm not sure it's going to be worth it for them. And uh, NYCFC is also, they're, they're in this light too, because they have one point between the two teams in these first two weeks. And that is your reigning MLS cup champions that have one point in their first two games uh where what's what's going on there maybe it has something to do with the games tonight we're recording on tuesday night uh ccl concacaf champions league's kicking off again nycfc is at home against communications excuse me and uh seattle hosts leon i think they're really prepping for this they've got the depth in the squads to make a run and i think they're really pushing at that run uh but they've got to win got to win tonight because they go on the road for the home leg with the way goals counting. They've got to win big tonight. And speaking of CCL, tomorrow or on Wednesday when you hear this, uh, New England will take on Pumas from Liga Emekis. And uh, Cruz Azul will host Club de Foot Montreal. Uh, I give the nod to Cruz Azul there. Uh, all the MLS teams, the other MLS teams, other Montreal are at home. Yeah, there's very real chance all three of them could win, but then they got to go to the away legs at the back end of this uh, two-legged affair. Then we'll see how it goes. Those games will be respectively 7 and 9 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday night, it'll be on FS2 for those two games. And with New England, we are basically judging this on 
like past performance and performance in MLS because they, of course, did not play the first round of the CCL. It'll be interesting when uh, Montreal having to go to Cruz Azul in Mexico after what happened this weekend in Liga Emekis. Uh Sure, you've heard. It was a Querétaro versus Atlas at Querétaro. Uh, about the 60th minute, uh, violence erupted in the crowds between the uh, ultras of both teams. Uh, all throughout the crowd, crowds forced on the field for the safety, perhaps of their very lives on this. Uh, officially, they're saying 26 hospitalized, 19 been released, three in critical condition, no fatalities. Well, if you've been on social media and you've seen those videos, the no fatalities thing just doesn't seem possible. These numbers do not seem possible. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give unofficial numbers here, but nobody believes that nobody died there. I don't believe it. I don't think Mike believes it. I don't think Sean believes it. Nobody believes it on social media. People don't believe it in on Mexican media. But the, the unofficial number going around is pretty consistent around 17 dead in the riots at the stadium. Yeah. Um, but officially, no one. Mm. Even though we saw the video of the memorial they held last night with candles everywhere and jerseys laid out on the ground and uh, huge crowds of people, uh, you don't normally see that for hospitalizations, to be quite honest. Liga Emekis held an emergency meeting regarding this uh, today, this afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Liga Emekis president, Mikhail Ariola stated, All the assailants found guilty in connection will be banned from life from all stadiums in Mexico. Uh, the Querétaro FC ownership group will be banned for five years. Uh, they must sell the team. Yeah, because, I mean, a five-year ban from the ownership group means either the team is sold or the team folds. Yes. It's it's not an official you-must-sell-the-team, but it is essentially that. Uh, the Athletic reported that uh, they were very close to kicking Quebrataro completely out of Liga Emekis, out of football. Uh, but they didn't to save the jobs of those not associated with this violence. This was definitely, definitely looks to be pre-planned. There was a video out there which one of the few security guards that you could ever see on the videos, and there's hundreds of them. Uh, there's a picture of one of the security personnel opening up the gates to allow uh, the ultras from Carataro to get into the crowd of Atlas. Those are locked for a reason. This was horrific. The only thing I can equate it to would be the Port Said massacre in Egypt in 2012. And uh, even that had much different reasons for happening. So, yeah, Kertaro gets a one-year ban for fans in the stands for all of their teams. Youth, women's, men's, they'll have no fans in the stands. That's got to hurt their revenue. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now the... All supporters groups for Carataro have been banned for one year. That seems like that should should have been a lot longer. Yeah. And those those are punishments handed down from uh from uh the Femex Mexican Foot. Federation. Yeah, from Femex Foot. And Atlas supporters group got uh 
Atlas got hit with like six months of punishment, though it did really look like most of it was one-sided in this, but I understand why they might do that. Just horrible scenes. Came back from a wonderful day at Creekcourt Park with City 2 to, to look at this on social media. Um, I will say, yeah, uh, content warning, uh, don't go looking at the images if you are sensitive to <laughs> to scenes of violence. Because it's it's brutal. I've got nothing more to really add. No, it's just thoughts and solidarity with victims. Because um, it's it's a horrible thing to happen. It, um, and the causes are nebulous, and here seemingly. Um, well, I'm not going to speculate on it, but. It's yeah, it's it's a it's no matter what else comes down about it. It's a horrible human tragedy. Yep. On a little lighter note to finish up the show. Another week in uh, the soccer capital uh, a fantasy football league. Big winner of the week was Kaiser Soso come from behind with 84 points this week. It's also leading overall uh, satanic, but with nuance was second. And yours truly here, under the title of Flatters to Deceive, came in third this week. Uh, how'd you guys do? Uh, I did better in fantasy than uh, <laughs> I did better in fantasy than Miami did on the field. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect to, to do very well in this league once we started opening it up to listeners, but uh, you know, <laughs> I didn't expect it to be this thorough of a thwomping we'll put it that way <laughs> and if uh, you're interested in joining our league you can still get in uh we'll put uh, code in the name of the league in the show notes so you can join on mlssoccer.com mason i think we need to make our own wooden spoon and then we're just gonna fight over it <laughs> <laughs> start whittling <laughs> you say that you're currently the winner of it <laughs> Hold on, we're waiting till the end of the year to hand it out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, you guys got anything else for this week's show? I think that's about it for me. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your cave-dwelling hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>